Dear loving Father in heaven, blessed be thy holy name, Lord, and we thank you for giving us the privilege of life, and we thank you for also sustaining our lives and blessing us with the basic necessities of this life. We ask, Father, that as we fellowship with you, that we shall receive grace and strength and power to become sons and daughters of God. That you will grant us graciously of your spirit, that we may show our gratitude to you by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you. Because of our own strength, we cannot do it. Therefore, we ask that you would lend us the helping hand. As we go through your words now, I pray that you will consecrate me to your service and grant me graciously of your spirit, that the words will examine, shall bless us, and that you put your words in my mouth, that I may speak blessings and edification to all your children who are listening. Please do this for us and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 5 Beloved Disciple We love him because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 John is distinguished above the other apostles as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John 21 verse 20 He received many tokens of the Savior's confidence and love. He was one of the three permitted to witness Christ's glory upon the Mount of Transfiguration and his agony in Gethsemane. And it was to his care that our Lord confided his mother in those last hours of anguish upon the cross. John's was a nature that longed for love, for sympathy and companionship. He pressed close to Jesus, sat by his side, leaned upon his breast. As a flower, the sun and dew, so did he drink in the divine light and life. The depth and fervor of John's affection for his master was not the cause of Christ's love for him, but the effect of that love. John desired to become like Jesus, and under the transforming influence of the love of Christ, he did become meek and lowly. Self was hid in Jesus. Above all his companions, John yielded himself to the power of that wondrous life. John knew the Savior by an experimental knowledge. His master's lessons were graven on his soul. When he testified of the Savior's grace, his simple language was eloquent with the love that pervades his whole being. It was John's deep love for Christ which led him always to desire to be close by his side. The Savior loved all the twelve. But John's was the most receptive spirit. He was younger than the others, and with more of the child's confiding trust, he opened his heart to Jesus. Thus, he became more into sympathy with Christ, and through him, 
the Savior's deepest spiritual teaching was communicated to the people. John could talk of the Father's love as no other of the disciples could. He revealed to his fellow men that which he felt in his own soul, representing in his character the attributes of God. The beauty of holiness which had transformed him shone with a Christ-like radiance from his countenance. In adoration and love, he beheld the Savior until likeness to Christ and fellowship with him became his one desire, and in his character was reflected the character of his master. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Beloved Disciple. When you read through the account of the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because there are four of them, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you read through these accounts, you find a lot of similarity between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But there's one of them that stands out in the manner that the account is written and in the information given. And that is the book written by the man called John the Beloved, the brother of James, the sons of Zebedee. He is described as the beloved disciple. And what a privilege it is for one to be singled out as the disciple in whom Jesus loved. So let us study about this man called John the beloved because we all would want to have that nearness to Jesus so that we also can be the beloved of God. Reading from John chapter 13, verse 23 to 26, we see something about the nearness to Jesus that John had. It says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? That is, this place, Jesus had just said that today one of you is going to betray me and everybody was wondering who is it, who is it, who is it? And John was here, leaning on the breast of Jesus. Peter told John, ask him who it is. And John asked Jesus, who is it? And then Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now this answer that Jesus gave was to John himself. The other disciples didn't seem to have understood what happened. John was the one who got this information. But why I read this is just so you understand, we understand, that truly there was a kind of relationship that existed between Jesus and John that was more intimate than that which existed between Jesus and the rest of the disciples. And we want to study why this was the case and what was it that brought about this nearness and so much closeness and intimacy between John and Jesus. Here we see John being described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I want us to remember that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are described as Bonegras, the sons of Tonda, 
they were not naturally people who had this sympathetic, endearing, loving hearts. So what happened? Now, just prior to the day, to the time when Jesus is to be crucified, John is a different person than that which he was when Jesus first met them. Three and a half years of dwelling with Jesus had transformed him. There are those who have known Jesus for 20 years and they have not come to this nearness with Jesus. Is it because of the fact that Jesus was actually present there that John was like this? No. There were other people who saw Jesus face to face and yet they were not able to have this nearness and transformation of character that John the Beloved had. So, it is not that John had an advantage over us today because other people have had the advantage of seeing Jesus face to face and coming close to him, but yet they didn't have that nearness to him. Remember that David was called a man after God's own heart and yet he did not see Jesus face to face. So, what made John what he was is not the advantage of seeing Jesus face to face, but what we are first of all pointing out is that three and a half years of being with Jesus had changed John from a son of thunder to one who is described as leaning on the bosom of Jesus and there is this great nearness between him and Jesus to the point that Peter didn't even ask Jesus directly who is it that will betray you. He had to go through John whom he knew that had had a closer relationship with Jesus and he knew that if it was John who asked, Jesus will answer the question. That's just showing us the nearness. But I'm saying also that the character of John is something to take note of. We read in Conflict and Courage, page 315, paragraph 3, John's was a nature that longed for love, for sympathy and companionship. He pressed close to Jesus, sat by his side, leaned on his breast. As a flower, the sun and dew, so did he drink in the divine light and life. That is a description of John the Beloved. This shows us that the more we come closer to Jesus, the more subdued, compassionate, loving our hearts will be. Where did John learn to have this nature that longed for love? He learned it of Christ. And we should learn also that this is what we should be like. If we want to be like Christ, we will have this same spirit. Sometimes we are so cold, we freeze love in our hearts so that it cannot be expressed. John's love for Jesus was expressed externally. He's leaning on the bosom of Jesus. He's coming closer and closer to him and it's not just in changing of character but you see it in his gestures towards Jesus. This day with God, page 266, paragraph 3 and 4 says, We are taught in the word of God to be kind, tender, pitiful, courteous. Cultivate Christ-like love. Let all you do bear the impress of this love. Those who do not speak the words and do the works of Christ are trying to climb into heaven by some other way than through the door. Do not endeavor to preserve your cold on Christ-like dignity. This is not religion. It is not Christianity. What you need is the light that shines in the face of Christ to cause your faces to shine with the brightness of his love. 
put away your cast iron dignity. God has not told you to cherish any such thing. Let your hearts be filled with the love of Christ. Then Christ-like sympathy will shine forth from your faces." End of quote. This is an example of what that love is. Some of us are, like I said, we freeze love in our hearts. Sometimes we want to express it, but we don't allow it to come out. We see things, you want to commend someone, but you freeze it, you say, no, I won't say it. You want to tell somebody you miss them, but you say, no, I won't say it. This is my brother that I missed, no, I will tell him that I missed him. Oh, you want to also commend them that you are going to, you love what they do for you, but then you freeze it in your heart. You want to even express it by putting a hand on the shoulder of your brother, but then you freeze it because you don't want to express the love because you want to prove, you think that it will not be dignifying for you. This is what we call unchrist-like dignity. There is a kind of dignity that is not Christ-like. John did not have that unchrist-like dignity, but there is a dignity that is Christ-like. And John did not refrain from expressing his love. He leaned on Jesus' bosom. And if we love one another today, because when you say loving Jesus today, who is the Jesus we are talking about? Jesus talks about his people and he says about them, as much as you did it to the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Do you want to show your love for Jesus? Then you show it to those whom Jesus died for. We will have that Christ-like sympathy for those around us. Some of us want to um, show our love that is in the heart. It's not that it's not there. It is there by a smile of, to our brethren, but we stifle it and then we, 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 we squeeze our faces. We try our best not to smile at our brethren because we think that, oh, that will not be dignifying and then we stifle that smile. And then, for the sake of social reform also, perhaps you may have taken it to another level. Oh, you don't want to be misunderstood. Yes, that is properly gotten. Yes, we shouldn't give messages that can be misunderstood. But we should also know how, like Jesus, because we are told that Jesus had a love that did not encourage undue familiarity. He showed a sympathy that would not encourage undue familiarity. And we should pray to God to help us. That even when relating with the opposite sex, we should not have this unchristlike dignity, and we should also not send uh, messages that will lead people in the wrong direction. There is a balance to it, even when relating to the opposite sex. But even if we try it with our own brethren, I mean the same sex, you realize that we are not showing as much love as we should. We should learn, like John, to do it to our brethren because that's how we do it to Jesus. That is the Christ-like dignity. Also, concerning the closeness of John with Jesus, we hear of how he was standing right there that day that all his disciples, all Jesus' disciples deserted him. John seemed to be the one who was in the in Pilate, um, in, in the judgment hall of Annas and Caiaphas, reading John 18, verse 15 and 16, it says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus. This was after they had kidnapped him, I would say, and Judas had betrayed him. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. 
that disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without these two disciples. It should be James and it should be John and Peter. They were the ones who went, and John was at the forefront. And then later on, we realized that it must be John who was at that uh, place with Jesus when he was being questioned by the high priest. Because in John 19 verse 25 to 27, only one of the disciples is at the cross. Before there were two disciples, John and Peter. Peter denied Jesus and ran away. And then only one is left. It is John the Beloved. John 19 verse 25 to 27. He got a commission here now. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said to he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Amen. So we see here that John followed Jesus. The Bible records that all of Jesus' disciples deserted him. But there's one person who stood by. It was John the Beloved. What was it that made John love Jesus so much and also made Jesus to love him? That is called the Beloved Disciple. Jesus did not necessarily love John more than he did other disciples. He loved all of them equally. But John was the one who appreciated and responded and received that love more than others. To him, it was so much of a big deal that Jesus loved him. Why did John have an unparalleled closeness to Jesus than any other disciple? John himself gives his reason. In the book of 1 John 4 verse 19, he says, We love him, or you can say John loved him, because he first loved us. John so understood and appreciated Jesus' love that he exclaimed in 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We are told, as we read before in Conflict and Courage, page 315, paragraph 4, the depth and fervor of John's affection for his master was not the cause of Christ's love for him, but the effect of that love. John desired to become like Jesus, and under the transforming influence of the love of Christ, he did become meek and lowly. Self was hid in Jesus. Above all his companions, John yielded himself to the power of that wondrous life. So do you see the reason now? It was about the yielding. Equal love was given to all the disciples, but one was yielding to it more than the other. One was receiving what was being given equally to everybody. One was receiving it more. Others were receiving less, not because they had less to receive, but they were just receiving less of the love. John had a child's heart. And that is why he's not the, the one who would want to question Jesus or compete with him, but he listened to every single word. And he is the type who would brood on it and cherish it and just believe everything and yield himself to everything Jesus says. John loved Jesus so much because he felt that he was very unworthy of Jesus' love. You know, when we were looking at the case of Mary, we learned this lesson. Jesus said, to him who much is forgiven, he will love much. There are some people who consider it such a um, 
strange thing that people rejoice at being forgiven of their sins. They look at it like maybe because your sins are so much, that's why you're always happy when you hear about the forgiveness of sins. For example, when you read the book of Ezekiel 18, there are some people who rejoice so much. Like me, I rejoice at that chapter of the Bible when the Bible says that if the wicked turns from his iniquity, all his iniquity shall not be mentioned against him anymore. In his righteousness which he had done, if he forsakes his sin, he shall surely live. I say Amen and I rejoice that the Lord is being so good because if the Lord was to be fair, he would say, I will punish you for all your sins and he will give us the the just recompense of all our error. But then here is the Lord saying, all you have ever done in your life, be it ever so wicked, be it ever so terrible, just change, that's all. I'm not going to mention it to you anymore. Your sins are forgiven. And to him who has been forgiven much, he will love much. And if you hold on to this passage and you're rejoicing, some people in church might look at you and feel like, what has this person done in his life? that makes him rejoice like this. This person must be such a terrible sinner. That's why he likes this passage so much. Well, that's not exactly the case. It all depends on how much you appreciate the love of God, not about how much sin that one has committed. How much love do you have between Mary and Simon? Simon was even worse than Mary. But Mary appreciated the love of Jesus more than Simon did and that is why she did that act to Jesus. Not because she was the worst sinner, that she was so grateful that the Lord forgave her, no, but because she understood the enormity of her sin and she appreciated the grace of Jesus in forgiving it. It is all about how much you receive the love, how much you appreciate the love, that is what matters. That is what will make you respond to that love and that's how you will change. Jesus and John had this relationship because John appreciated Jesus more than all the disciples. He appreciated him and he showed in the fact that he yielded more to Jesus. It shows in those words he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. He thought it a very high privilege that someone like himself will be called the Son of God and it made him endeared to Jesus. He came closer and closer. He that has been forgiven much will love much. He that has understood that his sins are much is the only one that will learn that he has been forgiven much and therefore will love much. If you see your sins as being very little, what have I done? I've not killed anybody. I've not done this. I've not done that. And then you think your sin is small. Then you will feel that you have been forgiven little and you will love little. But if you understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin and you see how much you have been forgiven, you may not have done blatant things. I mean, things that the world calls as abomination, the things that the world looks down on and frowns upon. You may not have done those kind of things. And John didn't do those kind of things. But his appreciation of the exceeding sinfulness of sin had made him to love Jesus so much that he, he yielded himself to him. The measure of our love for Jesus is dependent on how much we feel our need of him. Our dependence on him is a measure of our love. If we think we need him little, we will love him little. And if we, need, if we feel we need him so much, we will love him much. And how was it that John was able to comprehend and understand this love so well? It was because of how closely he observed Christ and, des- and desired to replicate what he saw in Christ's character. 
reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18, it says, But we all with open face, as beholding us in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in, into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here is given to us a law of the mind, that whatever we focus on by beholding, we will become changed. Mind, Character and Personality, Volume 2, page 418, paragraph 4 tells us, by beholding we become changed. It is a law both of the intellectual and the spiritual nature that by beholding we become changed. The mind gradually adapts itself to the subject upon which it is allowed to dwell. It becomes assimilated to that which it is accustomed to love and reverence. Man will never rise higher than his standard of purity or goodness or truth. It is if self is his loftiest ideal, he will never attain to anything more exalted. Rather, he will constantly sink lower and lower. The grace of God alone has power to exalt man. Left to himself, his course must inevitably be, be downward. End of quote. So what this law is telling us is that John loved Jesus and reflected the character of Jesus much more because it is a law of the mind that by beholding we become changed. And we are told in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 that we will be changed into the image of Jesus the more we behold him. So John contemplated, that's the meaning of the behold there. To behold Christ means to contemplate and meditate upon his character and with the intention of transforming into that character. So if we like John want to be the beloved disciple, we must study closely the character of Christ. Reading from the faith I live by, page 150, paragraph 2, we, are, we, we read, as the mind dwells upon Christ, the character is molded after the divine similitude. The thoughts are pervaded with a sense of his goodness, his love. We contemplate his character and thus he is in all our thoughts. His love encloses us. If we gaze even a moment upon the sun in its meridian glory, when we turn away our eyes, the image of the sun will appear in everything upon which we look. Thus it is when we behold Jesus, everything we look upon reflects his image, the sun of righteousness. We cannot see anything else or talk of anything else. His image is imprinted upon the eye of the soul and affects every portion of our daily life softening and subduing our whole nature. By beholding, we are conformed to the divine similitude, even the likeness of Christ. To all with whom we associate, we reflect the bright and cheerful beams of his righteousness. We have become transformed in character, for heart, soul, mind are irradiated by the reflection of him who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. End of quote. This is a very fitting description of what it means to behold Christ, looking at the sun. And the description they have you experienced before, if you look directly at the sun and for a while and then later you turn your eyes away from the sun, you find out that you start to see, like what the people say, you see stars. You are seeing sun, the sun, that brightness of the sun, you see it in everything. There is that glow in everything you see. It's, that means that we should be careful not to dwell on the imperfections of people's character. Because if you dwell on the defects and imperfection of people's character and you contemplate it, you keep talking about it, you keep meditating on it, if that's the 
theme of your conversation with people. What do you think you'll be seeing all the time? And what do you think you'll be transformed into? You'll be transformed into the same image of that which you contemplate and behold. But if we must be like Jesus, if we must be that beloved disciple, then we must take our time to turn away from every evil thing around us and contemplate the character of Christ. True, we may see people who would behave in a way that is not in harmony with the will of God, but let that be even a pretext for turning to Jesus. Let that be a reason to turn to Jesus rather than a reason to dwell upon that person's character. Turn to Jesus and say, woe is me. I could be like this person. Let me come close to Jesus and look more on him and dwell on his loveliness, dwell on his character, that we may be transformed into that same character. We cannot see anything else or talk of anything else if we continue to meditate on it. And John did this and he was able to say in the book of 1 John 1 reading from his 1 to 4, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Amen. Who is your fellowship with? John says in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 1, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. How about you? Who is your fellowship with? Is your fellowship with the world and with the people of the world? We need to behold Christ and not the world. That's why John said, 1 John 2 verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is dwelling in your mind? Is it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Because that is the world. It's not what, if, you, if that's what's dwelling on your mind, you'll be transformed into that image. Rather, we need to fellowship with Christ and with the Father. And how do you do that? We do that by studying the Word of God and meditating on the character of God. Not necessarily studying the Word of God to find out excuses for bad behavior. Because if some people do that, they point to David and say, Oh, David did this, therefore I'm excused. You're missing the mark. Study the Word of God to see the character of God. His loving tenderness, His kindness, His goodness, His firmness, His courage. We are then going to be transformed into that image. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to break the Word of God down to us that we may see clearly wondrous things out of His law. Reading from Conflict and Courage, page 315, paragraph 6, it says, John could talk of the Father's love as no other of the disciples could. He revealed to his fellow men that which he felt in his own soul, representing in his character the attributes of God. The beauty of holiness which had transformed him shone with a Christ-like radiance from his countenance. End of quote. So, John could talk of this love more deeply than others because... He revealed it because he received it. He yielded himself more to Jesus. 
And if we love Jesus, we will love to speak of him and stay close to him. But then, how do we show our love to Jesus? John himself says it. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 to 21 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. And how do you show this love to your brother? John explains more. First John 5 now, reading verse 2 and 3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Amen. His commandments are not grievous. How do you show your love for Jesus? You cannot say you love Jesus and you see people around you and you are not showing the love to them. Jesus said concerning those who will make it to his kingdom that when I was hungry you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick also, you helped me. And Jesus will say to them, As long as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, he have done it unto me. Amen. When the church was being persecuted and Jesus appeared to Paul, he was Saul at the time, and his question to him shows us how Jesus' relationship with his children is on this earth. Jesus asked Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul asked, Who art thou, Lord? And he, re he revealed himself, I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Who was it that Paul was actually persecuting at the time? Jesus said, It is me. Who is it? That you show your love to how do you show your love to jesus do you want to feed jesus do you want to lean on his bosom look at your brother around you look at your sister around you and how do you show the love to jesus jesus said it himself do you want to love me if you love me john 14 verse 15 if you love me keep my commandments who is that me jesus has said if you love me and who is jesus now it is the people around you. Jesus said, one of the least of these, my brethren, is as long as you do it to them, do you want to show love to me? Keep my commandments. But then I'm not seeing Jesus. So how do I show my love to him? Jesus said, don't worry, you don't need to see me. See, the least of these, my brethren, they represent me. Keep my commandments for their sake. That is how you show your love for me. The more we come closer to Jesus, the more we realize that Christ is in your brother. You see Christ in your sister. Not that they have the character of Christ, but that he died for all of us. Therefore, if we want to show our love to Jesus, Jesus says, keep my commandments. For whose sake now? For the sake of your brethren. Show love to them. Do not steal. Do not kill. All these things has to do with our human relationships. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. Don't covet. If you really love Jesus, will you covet his property? No, you say no, of course. Then, why covet your brother's property? Because Jesus said, if you do it to the least of this, my brethren, you have done it unto me. If you covet the, the property of your brethren, maybe you're not happy to hear that your sister is getting married, or you're not happy to hear of the progress of your brother. Then, what does that mean? That means you're not happy to hear of the progress of Jesus. 
but yet you say you love Jesus. Jesus said, as long as you did it to any of these people, you are doing it to me. If you are not happy for them, you are not happy for me. If you are happy for them, then you are for me. If you love Jesus and you want to give him gifts, you want to help them, John is saying to us, look at the people around you. If you say you love Jesus and you hate your brother, then you are a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Love for God, fellowshipping with him, that which John was talking about here, has very important lessons for us in seeing how we treat our own brethren that is around us. But then, like I've been saying now, it is actually a self-sacrificing love like we studied before this self-sacrificing love has to do with doing things not for your sake but for other sake today we are talking of for christ's sake living for christ's sake and not for self why do we live a holy life is it because of the glories of heaven or do we have a greater motivation than this john 17 verse 16 to 19 says they are of the world jesus was speaking here even as i am not of the world then he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Amen. What was the motive of Jesus sanctifying himself for our sakes? What is the motive of you sanctifying yourself? It should go beyond the reason that we just want to make it to heaven, that we want to live in pleasures forevermore. It should be also for the same thing, for their sakes, for Christ's sake. And if you are doing it for Christ's sake, you are doing it for the sake of your brother also. Because if you want to do it for Jesus, Jesus says, do it for them, do it for the world. As long as you do it for the least of this, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Why are you sanctifying yourself? Jesus said, I sanctify myself for their sakes, for the world. Why are you doing yours? Is it for yourself? For that, so that I will be in the kingdom of God? John's motivation was no longer like this. It was no longer that selfishness that he had. As we studied in the previous devotion that he requested that he wants to be at the right hand of Jesus. He no longer had this character. He was transformed. And that statement, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, was greatly fulfilled in John. That mind was in him, which was in Christ Jesus. He began to live not for self, but for the glory of God and for the benefit of his brethren. And this is to be our motive for living a holy life. It should be for Christ's sake, for the sake of our brethren. Jesus did it for us and we are to do it for others. Not striving for the supremacy because we want to be on top of everyone, but learning that humility which John learned. After he had made that request, he also had more to learn. And he realized when Jesus was saying that he, will be, who he, he who would be the greatest must be the servant. John learned to be the servant. Suffice to say that if we must be like John, the beloved disciple, we must learn the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Because unless you see sin for what it is, you will not appreciate Jesus as you should. And if you don't see sin for what it is, you will not understand how much you've been forgiven. And when you don't know how much you've been forgiven, you will not love much. And then when you do not love much, how can you behold Jesus and love him and be transformed into his character? Let us be transformed by the renewing of the mind. 
let us learn to show the love for Jesus in showing love for our brethren. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for these words spoken. I pray that your spirit shall impress it upon the hearts of all who have been listening, that we may be motivated to behold Christ, that we may trans- be transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, please teach us to behold Christ. Sometimes we study the word and we don't see Christ in it. Lord, open down our eyes that we may see Christ in the word, that we may be transformed, that we may learn to be more like him. In Jesus' name of God, amen. Thank you.